Welcome to the Ashley and Jessicast. I started this podcast because of my love for Jessica and Ashley Simpson, but due to the support of my amazing listeners, I have been able to expand to other topics as well to feed my pop culture obsession and yours. Join me as we time travel through some of the most interesting figures in music, movies, TV, and beyond. I'm your host, Leah Russo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ashley and Jessicast. Today, we are talking about the person who I consider to be the quintessential early 2000s icon who represents everything about this era so beautifully, it's almost like she did it on purpose. Of course, I'm talking about Lindsay Lohan. Now, right off the bat, is it Lohan or Lowen? Lindsay herself says Lowen, but then in some interviews where they ask her about it, she says, oh, it's Lowen or Lohan, it doesn't matter. All right, first of all, <laughs> let me just make sure that I'm pronouncing it's Lohan, not Lohan. Lowen. Lowen. It actually doesn't really matter. Sure it does. No, it doesn't. My, my family says Lohan. I say just say Lohan. Your family says Lohan? Yeah. <laughs> and so now you're trying to start a new way to I'm say it? I'm rebelling against my family. <laughs> don't say the H. Yeah. So, so you're making the H silent, although... Yeah, I, it sounds a little better. Sounds yeah. nicer. The first L in my name is silent. Now, I have always said Lohan, and I asked you guys on our Instagram, how do you personally pronounce her name, Lohan or Lohan? 88% of you said Lohan, and only 12% said Lohan. I'm going to keep saying Lohan just because it seems like Lindsay doesn't care. And even though Dina and Lindsay both say Lohan, everyone <laughs> says Lohan. So I guess they just didn't care enough to correct it. So I'm going to keep calling her Lindsay Lohan. Much like in Mean Girls when Janice calls her Caddy and then Lindsay's like, it's Katie. And she goes, yeah, I'm going to call you Caddy. I'm going to call you Lindsay Lohan because that's what I've been doing my whole Lindsay loving life and I'm just going to keep at it. You guys have no idea. I am so excited for this series. I have been doing so much research on this woman and we are going to cover everything. Now, I really do want to put a tremendous focus on her talent and her career as opposed to the substance abuse issues the parents, the tabloids, the arrests, all of it. I'm going to cover it because it is a part of her, but we are going to go through every single movie. We're going to have a special episode on her music as well. And I really want to celebrate Lindsay, the artist, actress, singer, performer, and not be so freaking gossipy and tabloidy about it. Because at the end of the day, for me, Lindsay as a performer was remarkable. From such a young age, and I know everyone says it, it's nothing new, but her performance in The Parent Trap, playing dual roles at age 11, she made adults that are playing one role look like idiots, okay? <laughs> I mean, that is such a fantastic movie, and I don't think any other teen star, especially of this era, had such a successful output of movies there for a while. In 2006, Elle magazine called Lindsay the most consistently watchable actress of her generation, which I found to be such a beautiful way to describe what I was thinking. 
I mean, when you think of The Parent Trap, Freaky Friday, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, Mean Girls, and even to a lesser extent, Herbie Fully Loaded, to a lesser extent, the Disney Channel original movies, Life Size and Get a Clue, those weren't as good as the others, but they were still very solid young adult movies that I still enjoy watching, not just for the nostalgia. She really worked on some great movies with smart, funny, cute scripts that really hold up. And her performance in each of them was fantastic. When I say that Lindsay epitomizes the early 2000s more than anybody else, I'm sure some people were like, well, what about Britney? To me, Britney is the biggest icon and legend of that era. But Britney has lasted beyond that era. I mean, even at her worst, she was still iconic. Even when she was dealing with unimaginable abuse, she was still cranking out hits. I mean, people always talk about the femme fatale era because she was struggling so much that it seemed like in interviews and performances, she was she just really wasn't with it. She didn't want to be there. And yet still, she was slaying on the charts. I mean, Hold It Against Me, hit number one. Till the World Ends was huge. Even I Want to Go to an extent, even Criminal. The fact that she even released a fourth single off of that album. Whereas Lindsay is a product of this time in such a unique way. I mean, she has everything. She has the trouble background, the dramatic weight loss, the drug use, the partying, getting into messes with Paris Hilton, getting into feuds with Hilary Duff, the dramatic love life, the falling out of clubs, the whole actor-turned-singer or singer-turned-actor thing that everybody started doing in the early 2000s, the failed clothing line, the juicy couture outfits, being best friends with Nicole Richie. I mean, I'm sure I'm, I'm missing things, right? It's just like every early 2000s thing relates somehow to Lindsay Lohan. Trust me, try it. It's like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing. And unfortunately, one of the other things that makes her such an icon of this time is that she's really only an icon of this time. I mean, she's still remembered and known and famous. And now there's a whole other era of younger people discovering her through the internet, but career-wise, she kind of reminds me of Molly Ringwald, a fellow redhead who, if you don't know, was the star of Sixteen Candles, The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, in the mid to late 80s, and yes, she has continued working the rest of her life, but she will always be known for those movies. I mean, I'm not dissing her when I say I don't think she'll ever do anything that big again. Because when you hit that stratosphere, it's impossible to maintain in the first place, even if you don't have arrests and volatile parents and Paris Hilton coming after you and all of that other stuff, right? Like Molly didn't have a dramatic personal life or a troubled life, but she's the 80s icon because you can't really equate the 90s with Molly Ringwald. Lindsay was iconic for this short period of time, and then she lost it, and that's such a shame. But I think she's going to make a comeback, and that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this series on her right now, because she's starting to post more, she has a TikTok now, and everybody knows that is the strategy for putting somebody out there, whether it's a new celebrity or someone making a comeback like Lindsay, to connect with people on TikTok. She's doing that. We know that she has 
the Christmas movie coming out with Cord Overstreet. And now we've just heard a couple weeks ago, Lindsay has a two picture deal with Netflix. So that's going to be a total of three movies on Netflix. So I am so excited because I really feel like this is going to be a turning point for her. After doing so much research, it really does seem like she's doing well. And there were no complaints from the set of this Christmas movie, which has already been completed. It's not like she was showing up late or drinking or whatever. She seems to be much better adjusted now living in Dubai, away from the paparazzi. And I know people have their own rumors and stuff of what she's really doing over there and whatever. I think it makes complete sense. And I think it's what Brittany probably would have done too at some point if she didn't have to stay in California to be with her sons, you know, because of the custody agreement. I think it makes perfect sense for people who are relentlessly hounded and chased. I think it makes perfect sense to move to a country where paparazzi is actually illegal, which is so fascinating to imagine her going from a world where it's all about getting photographed everywhere you go to now never being photographed. I mean, it really makes me happy to think of Lindsay Lohan walking down the street with her big sunglasses and her designer bag and there's nobody around her (laughs) and no one says anything and she can just be free. I love it. So we're going to get into it all on this podcast, her whole life. But before I start, I just want to say one thing. I think that how Lindsay has been portrayed in the media is a really great yet depressing example of how this world treats addicts. And I'm very sensitive to that because I know a lot of people who struggle every single day to not reach for that bottle or whatever it may be that they are addicted to. And... One thing I learned growing up around addicts and loving addicts is addicts are people. Addicts are people. I'm just going to say that again in, in the same simple terms. Addicts are people, okay? And that's why in this series, you are not going to hear me quote TMZ. You're not going to hear me quote In Touch Weekly, Us Weekly, Star Magazine, National Enquirer. Perez Hilton, I just have absolutely no interest in doing that. Because in my research, what I've realized is how great Lindsay really is doing now. And I just cannot imagine the torture of consistently being judged by the mistakes you made and the things you became addicted to when you were 17, 18, 19 years old. I mean, think of your worst night getting wasted or whatever, you know, whatever crazy night you've had. I've had a I've had a pretty tame life especially compared to my friends when it comes to drugs and drinking and partying and stuff but when I think about my wildest times if that was happening in front of the world (laughs) I can't fathom can you imagine I can't I cannot imagine being 35 which is how old she is now and people still looking at me and seeing A 19-year-old irresponsible party girl who is showing up late to set and slurring her words, refusing to go to rehab, and then going to rehab but kind of not really being dedicated to it, and then leaving rehab and going back and leaving and going back and crashing her car and going to jail and back in court and more DUIs. I cannot even imagine if I was a 35-year-old woman... (laughs) who has not been in trouble like that for a long time, and that's what people consistently did. 
And so, as I said, I am going to mention these things because, yes, they are a part of her history. But if you want to hear the salacious, scandalous version of all of it, if you want to hear the absolute worst case scenario, craziest, sensationalized version of it, you can go to other places because those places are out there. There are countless blogs, YouTube videos, podcasts that laugh their asses off at Lindsay Lohan to this day and talk about shit that happened in 2007 and point and laugh at her. Still, I'm not really sure why the same people are so empathetic to Britney, yet Lindsay, they are not. It's just really unfair. And I hope that when she does start coming out with these new movies and she is clearly on TV, lucid and happy and well-adjusted and okay, people will start to say, hey, that was really fucked up what happened to Lindsay Lohan. Like, I hope that there's documentaries about it. I hope there's a framing Lindsay Lohan. And I'm not trying to diminish Britney's experience at all because obviously Lindsay was not placed into a conservatorship, although Lou Taylor, one of the main players in Britney's conservatorship, did contact Michael Lohan and tried to get him to get Lindsay into a conservatorship. So she was this close, people. She was this close. It's wild. It's crazy. But you know what? Lindsay exchanged her childhood and her teen years and her 20s to give me some of the best entertainment that I have grown up on. And I'm going to do my due diligence to try and honor that and not just treat her like some product that I'm consuming and chewing up and spitting out. So I hope you'll join me on this journey. I'm so excited, you guys. So as Lindsay's rival, Hilary Duff, would say, let's go back, back to the beginning. We are going to start on July 2nd, 1986, which is when Lindsay D. Lohan entered this world. Now, <laughs> Lindsay, like most of us, is a complicated individual. And the messiness started right at the beginning, right at me looking up her name, <laughs> because on Wikipedia, it says Lindsay D. Lohan, but I was watching the VH1 Driven episode on Lindsay from 2005, I believe. Dina did an interview for it, and she introduces her daughter as Lindsay Morgan Lohan. And I know Dina is not the most reliable narrator on planet Earth, but she seemed very lucid during this interview, and even if she was drunk out of her mind or something, she would still remember her daughter's name. I mean, she birthed Lindsay. She was there to sign the birth certificate. So I looked up what is Lindsay Lohan's middle name, and when you look that up, most sources say D, but encyclopedia.com says Morgan, so I guess they saw this episode too. And I'm just so curious, like, damn, Dina, you're already screwing with us. What is Lindsay's middle name? So then I thought, good old Lindsay, she's been in trouble once or twice with the law. So I figured, I'll look up some court documents. I saw two different court documents that both say Lindsay D. Lohan. That was good enough for me. But it still remains positively perplexing. Why did Dina state that her daughter's name was Lindsay Morgan Lowen Undriven. Is that not wild? I mean, this woman is such a question mark. I just can't pin her down. <laughs> so Lindsay grew up in a nice community on Long Island, New York called Cold Spring Harbor. Her mother, Dina, was a former dancer and performer, and her father, Michael, was a Wall Street trader 
around the same time as Jordan Belfort, who is the Wolf of Wall Street. So that should give you a clue into what was going on there. For years, Lindsay and Dina would both say in interviews that Dina was a former Rockette. And at some point, once the press got really negative with Lindsay, the New York Post inquired with Radio City Music Hall, which is where the Rockettes perform about this. It says, after an inquiry from the Post, a spokeswoman for Radio City called back to say an exhaustive search found no record of Dina Lohan or Donata Sullivan, her maiden name, ever being a Rockette. I am empathetic to Dina Lohan, I have to say. So, like, I don't want to pile on here, but I think it's safe to say that part of what drove her to assist Lindsay in becoming a superstar was her own failed attempt at it. Also, when I say I'm empathetic to Dina, and I'm going to try not to make this little rant too long because this is a podcast series about Lindsay and not about Dina, but I know I'm going to lose some listeners. I know some of y'all are going to turn this podcast off as soon as I say what I'm about to say, but I don't care. I've done so many hours of research, and this is the conclusion that I have come to. I don't think Dina Lohan is that bad of a mother. I really don't. I think that 90% of the shit that you've read has been sensationalized to the moon and back. I don't think she's a bad person. I don't think she's a bad mother. I think she's an addict, and I think that's caused her to make some really poor choices at times and make some really huge mistakes. But you know what? Not to compare her to Britney again, but here's the difference between Lindsay and Britney. I used to always give Lynn Spears, Britney's mother, the benefit of the doubt. Don't ask me why. I guess that when I would see her in interviews, there was just something about her. She's very endearing, and I just, I always thought that she treated Britney well. But then, guess what? Britney was freed, and she's come out, and she's confirmed our fears about Lynn, right? Like, Britney talks negatively about Lynn now. And so you know what? I'm no longer giving Lynn the benefit of the doubt. Britney has confirmed Lynn didn't act right, and obviously I trust Britney. Here's the main reason why I think that Dina is a good mother. It's because all of her children say that she is. And their opinions are the only ones that matter in this whole entire world. What I'm saying right now doesn't even matter. Her four children all seem to adore her. And that surprised me, honestly, when I went into research for this podcast because of the way that the world has vilified her and the way that the world has just trashed Lindsay and her family over and over again as if they're just complete jokes, I thought I was going to find out all kinds of horrible shit about Dina. I thought I was going to be absolutely stunned and outraged by her. And instead, the opposite happened. Again, she has done some bad things. I am not saying she is perfect, okay? But... All four of her children consistently talk so positively about her. They post about her on Instagram all the time. She's clearly very involved in their lives. And Lindsay, who's obviously the most famous and the one who's always doing interviews and stuff, always brings her mother up in every single interview, even if they're talking about something that has nothing to do with Dina. They could be talking about the weather. And Lindsay will be like, oh yeah, my mom and I were just talking about that. Someone mentions cooking. Well, my mom is a great cook, so blah, blah, blah. That says so much to me because after everything that this family has been through, Lindsay and her mom are still extremely close. Apparently, they FaceTime every single day. They're deeply involved in each other's lives. And Lindsay doesn't seem to have any resentments. I mean, I'm sure she does because all families do. But like, Lindsay isn't sitting here like Brittany is typing out these things on Instagram exposing her mother. You know what I mean? And it might not be fair to compare those two, but I guess I'm just using like another superstar as an example. 
So this might be a Dina Lohan apologist podcast. I am not sorry. I don't care. I'll stop now. I am not sure what is true of her life because I do think that Dina, Michael, and Lindsay are all unreliable narrators. So I'm doing my best here. But it seems like Dina was a dance teacher on Long Island and that's kind of what she was known for around town and she used to bring Lindsay to her dance classes all the time even before she was old enough and two-year-old Lindsay was an actress and a performer from the beginning. Dina says that she always wanted to get involved. She was always making crazy faces into the mirror and doing characters. And so Dina knew from a very young age that Lindsay was, like her, a performer. I'm actually curious as to whether or not Lindsay thinks that Dina is a Rockette because she definitely did in 2004. But on Dina's podcast, Lindsay was a guest and she mentioned a bunch of things that Dina had done as a performer and she didn't say Rockette. And you would think like if, if your mother was a Rockette, that's the first thing you would say when you're talking about her performing career. So I don't know. I just found that interesting. Maybe Dina had to come clean with Lindsay at some point, but Lindsay grew up thinking that her mother was a Rockette. How old were you when you started modeling? Oh God, I started when I was like five years old. Wow. Because your family, you have a... My mom was a rockette and stuff, so. A rockette she, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like your mom. Yeah, my mom's a rockette and stuff. It was hard because she'd like come up to school to get me and like the guys would like give her a standing ovation in the cafeteria. Uh -huh. I didn't, I was like, mom, don't pick me up. I'll walk to you. You don't have to come in. <laughs> Isn't that amazing that you were embarrassed that your mom was a rockette? I mean, I'm so blessed to have my mom. My mom's amazing. She's gorgeous. She's four children. She, you can never tell. But, um. It was hard when I was in school and like the guys were like hitting on my mom. They're like, God, why can't you look like your mom? I'm like, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh that's sad. <laughs> there were problems early on in Dina and Michael's marriage and Dina first filed for divorce when Lindsay was two years old but ended up revoking the petition. Lindsay has a childhood friend that was in her Driven episode and her Eat Your Hollywood story. She says that it was kind of known around town that they had problems. They would argue and have screaming fights outside and people would say, oh, they're arguing again. So that right there just gives me so much empathy for Lindsay because she's this little girl and she know must know that people in town are talking about it. I mean, that's a really tough thing to grow up with, to be that family in town that people are gossiping about because they can hear the screaming from the front porch or from the living room coming through the window. I mean, that's intense. There is a massive history of domestic violence in Lindsay's childhood. There are multiple documented incidents. There are a lot of claims made by Dina that Michael refutes. And the only reason why I'm saying claims is for legal reasons, I guess. I believe Dina. So that's the first thing. Dina and Michael were married in 1984, and Dina's claims of physical abuse against Michael date back to 1986 when Lindsay was just a baby. There is a claim that he punched her in the face after a dinner in 1986. She said that he raped her on Valentine's Day in 1990. And Lindsay said in a tweet that when she was four, there was a court appearance that the family was at and Michael kidnapped her and took her away somewhere to, from the courthouse. 
those are just three examples of very obviously terrible and traumatizing instances. So when I say I have empathy for Dina, I mean, I think you can understand where I'm coming from here. So if I see her in like that Dr. Phil interview that she did a few years ago and where she's clearly drunk or, or on something and she's deflecting and she's just acting so strange. When I see that, I don't think, oh, what a wacky, crazy mother Lindsay Lohan has. My heart swells when I see that. And I think, well, yeah, you know, Dina, like Lindsay, has had multiple DUIs, including a recent one in 2020, where she rear-ended another vehicle and was actually sentenced to 18 days in jail. This is understandable, you know? I mean, there's never any excuse for driving drunk. She should know better. But the fact that she still struggles with addiction, that that is not surprising to me. You know what I mean? If Lindsay relapsed, I would not say, oh my God, what's wrong with her? Can't she get it together? I would say, this makes sense. Based on the history of trauma in her life and the, the genetic disposition to uh, be an addict, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. The fact that Lindsay is doing as well right now as she is, and if you watch recent interviews of her, it really is so reassuring because she really seems great. Like she even seems a lot better than she seemed during that press tour that she did a few years ago for the Lohan Beach Club show. Like during that press tour, I was still kind of like, uh, her voice sounds like really bad. It sounds like she's smoked a thousand cigarettes. And she seemed to be deflecting a lot of questions, like her Howard Stern interview that she did around that time. I mean, there are some good things in it, but basically, like, she says nothing. Like, it's so impressive because Howard is such a wizard when it comes to interviewing people. He's usually able to get these amazing, you know, deep, profound stories out of people. And he would ask questions and she still found a way to, like, answer them, but not really answer them. (laughs) It's so fascinating. She's really good at interviews and now when I look at interviews from 2020 2021 um even 2022 she really seems to be doing okay now and it's beautiful to see because when you're talking about these instances I mean this is not like just parents screaming at each other in the driveway like I've had that you know I my parents have had a rocky relationship but my parents have never like beat each other up and you know like rape and and I mean god you know there's pictures of Dina with bruises like I never experienced anything like that I've experienced the screaming matches between my parents and that's enough like I can't even imagine the things that Lindsay experienced Dina claims that Lindsay witnessed Michael beating up Dina multiple times she actually said quote that's why she's so messed up which I don't think was the uh, most eloquent way to put that but hey this woman has been through a lot so let's give her a break when Lindsay was three Dina brought her into a meeting at Ford Models and she was signed on the spot Katie Ford was interviewed and said there is something about her aura and personality when she greets you with a smile that you cannot resist She came off as the perfect child that every parent wished they had. They said that she was unique with red hair, which was not the popular look at the time, but it really didn't matter because she was so charismatic and had so much star quality that she would book campaigns anyway, including Calvin Klein, DKNY, The Gap, Ralph Lauren, and a famous Abercrombie & Fitch ad that also has Lana Del Rey and Kate Bosworth in it. 
They said she was in every catalog imaginable, including Macy's and Bloomingdale's. In that Howard Stern interview I mentioned, this was in January of 2019, he asked a lot about Lindsay's childhood coming up in the industry, and he asked if Lindsay thought it was wrong to get into it that young, and he said, you know, maybe your mother should have thought twice about that, basically. And Lindsay says she really doesn't think about it, but she feels like if she hadn't started at three, maybe she wouldn't have been so conditioned in the industry and would never have ended up getting the parent trap. So it seems like she is okay with being put into it at such a young age. Wendy Rose Corbin, who worked for Ford Models at the time, said, It's not easy being a child model. They have to leave school. They miss after school stuff. They miss playing with their friends. Her brother said both he and Lindsay would be taken out of school early together to go into New York City so that she could get her modeling jobs done and they would get home super late. Wendy said, Lindsay would take her homework on the Long Island Railroad, do homework on the train, get her assignments in advance, and do them on breaks on set. Lindsay worked very hard. Now imagine that, being a child, and you have to get all of your schoolwork done, which is hard enough for children, and she's under the pressure to, like, do it on the train, on the way to her gig, where she also has to work. I cannot tell you how much empathy I have for this girl, even though... There are a lot of things that she has done that make me cringe and that are negative and wrong choices were made, but this is not an easy upbringing. I know it's kind of funny to, to hear a quote that says, it's not easy being a child model, like boo-hoo, but I really do feel that it was challenging for Lindsay, especially because in 1990, Michael Lohan was convicted of defrauding investors and also in contempt of court because he wouldn't give up his colleagues. He served 37 months at a Nassau County prison. Lindsay is the oldest of four siblings. Michael Jr. was born in December 1987. Aliana was born in December 1993. Dakota, or Cody Lohan, was born in June 1996, and their father, Michael, also fathered a child named Ashley in June of 1995, while he and Dina were reportedly separated. Dina told her children that Michael was working while he was in prison, and I think this highly contributed to her being a stage mom, because even though Lindsay, like all child stars, said in an interview in 1998 that she doesn't have to act if she doesn't want to, and she knows that, but she just loves to act and she loves to work, so she chooses to do it. I think that Dina probably pushed Lindsay a little bit because it was a source of income, right? I mean, all of those campaigns that I just mentioned, that's a lot of money. And when you go from having a husband who's a Wall Street trader and is bringing in a lot of money, and then he's convicted of defrauding investors, not only do you lose that income because he goes to prison, but he also probably had to pay retribution to these people. I know for a fact that Jordan Belfort did. So Dina's probably thinking, my job as a dance teacher is not cutting it, and 
Lindsay can bring in thousands of dollars for working a day. So you know what? We're going to make it to every go see and every audition that we possibly can. And she probably didn't feel like she was doing anything wrong because it does genuinely seem like Lindsay enjoyed what she was doing. In 2011, Lindsay told Vanity Fair Italia, I remember very well the feeling of those first few times in front of the camera. I literally loved it. As a young girl, I would ask mom to take me to the auditions. My father has never really been a part of my life, but my mother has always been there. The only person that I could count on. I'm not saying being a stage mom is okay or excusing it, but I could totally understand the pressure that Dina was under to make sure that there was a roof over their heads. Of course, it's extremely wrong to put that heavy pressure on a child's shoulders. But if Lindsay is upset about that, or if she wishes that Dina had not done it, I wouldn't know. Because Lindsay consistently says that she's grateful, that performing was an escape for her, she truly enjoyed it. Just to compare Lindsay's experience with two other child stars, the Olsen twins, Mary-Kate said in 2010 that she would never wish her upbringing on anyone. That's pretty intense. We haven't heard something like that from Lindsay. Again, I'm not saying that this justifies the choices Dina made, but I do think it kind of helps me understand the logic behind it. And even Mary-Kate followed up that quote by saying, I wouldn't wish my upbringing on anyone, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I don't know. I have really mixed feelings about the child star thing. We'll always be fascinated by it, but have mixed feelings about it. When Lindsay was around five or six, it was time for her to transition from modeling into acting, and so they started going after commercials. Lindsay went about six months without booking a single commercial because of the aforementioned red hair and freckles. It's funny because I think of red hair as so gorgeous. Like, Lindsay's natural hair color, I die for. It, it's so gorgeous. I have considered going red. I'm a natural blonde so many times, but I'm an actress too, so it would just be like changing my headshots and everything. It's a whole process, but I think it's such a fabulous look. And when you think of the term, the redheaded stepchild, which is used to refer to somebody who's a part of something and is like the outcast, I think that's crazy. Red hair is so beautiful, but at this time, everybody wanted those perfect blonde little children, I guess, and Lindsay and her mom struggled a lot. In 2020, when Lindsay was a guest on Dina's podcast, Dina described herself as a single mother during this time, even though she was technically still married. Michael was in prison for over two years, and then their marriage was on the rocks. They would separate and get back together, so much so that she called herself a single mother, and said that on the way home from all of Lindsay's gigs and auditions, they would get dinner while waiting for the Long Island Railroad at Penn Station in New York City, and Dina could only afford food for her kids and not for herself. And Lindsay also remembered not having any gas money to get home sometimes. So it was a tough time. Lindsay was so stressed out by all of these auditions that she told her mother after six months getting nothing that if she didn't get the audition that she was on that day that she was not going to do it anymore. Now this is a little child. This is like a six-year-old, okay, <laughs> saying, mommy, I'm, I'm over this. And Dina agreed. But of course, Lindsay ended up getting the commercial. It was a Duncan Hines commercial. Very soon after that, when Lindsay was seven, she was in a Jell-O commercial with Yikes, Bill Cosby. And over the next few years, Lindsay appeared in over 60 television commercials. 
Now, again, I know that Dina's word is not always the most reliable, but she claimed that multiple times and Lindsay has backed it up. So even if it's half of that, even if it's 30 television commercials, that is a tremendous amount of work for a young kid. And remember, she's still got to get her homework done and she's pulling it out on the on the Long Island Railroad trying to get everything done. And she's dealing with her father being in and out of trouble. And she's dealing with when he is home and he is with their family, her parents having screaming matches to the point where her friend is saying on VH1 that everyone in town knew about it and everyone in town was gossiping about them. So you know what? When Lindsay's falling out of a club wasted and getting arrested and smashing her car into things, honestly, I get it. Like, I get it. In 2017, Lindsay spoke to Piers Morgan about how performing was an escape for her during this time. But you had a, you know, you you had had a chaotic upbringing, family background. It was all very chaotic, wasn't it? Everything around you was chaotic. You think that you not lacked everything. a bit... But it was like, I mean, not necessarily all bad... Some of it was good chaos, but it was never that sort of calm... It was comfortable chaos sometimes. Right. I mean, how would you categorize what you grew up in? Oh, well, my dad worked on the stock exchange uh, on Wall Street my whole life, and then he went away with Jordan Balfour, so <laughs> I was growing in that. Street, yeah. yeah. So I was in that kind of world, and um, then my mom was taking care of all of us, and that must have been really difficult for her. Well, I know it was. Uh, and my escape was acting, and my escape was kind of... I found I found therapy through acting and singing. And that's where I found like a piece in a way. Lindsay transitioned from commercials to legit acting work when she appeared on two episodes of Sesame Street and an episode of the soap opera Guiding Light. She then scored a role as a recurring character on the soap opera Another World that she was on from 1996 to 1997. This was a pretty big deal because Another World was a very established soap. It had been running since 1960. Laura Moss, who played Lindsay's mother, said she was not just a prop on the show like some other kids were. She could carry a scene and even helped edit some of the scripts. She said that sometimes she would have a line and she would say, well, kids don't really say this or I wouldn't really say this. And they would actually replace the line with what Lindsay said. She was nine and 10 years old during this time and had complete confidence in herself. In fact, Laura said that she walked into the audition wearing a full leopard outfit, which Dina said that she let Lindsay dress herself however she wanted. And Lindsay apparently walked into the audition and said, okay, I have a birthday party in 45 minutes. Do you think we can make this quick? And (laughs) of course, she scored the role and the rest is history. In 1997, Disney was searching high and low for a little girl to play the twins in the remake of the 1960s hit movie, The Parent Trap. More than 1,500 young actresses submitted audition tapes for the dual roles of Hallie and Annie. Director Nancy Myers said that she was looking for a little Diane Keaton to play the parts. My manager called up and she said, Lindsay, can you do an English accent? And I said, yeah, I've watched The Secret Garden, so I thought it would be that easy. But, I mean, I've always played around with accents, so it didn't come that hard. Lindsay sent in the audition tape. They loved her energy, and they called her in. She had to audition several times. And then she was flown out to L.A. with five other girls. They did a very elaborate screen test, which is available on YouTube. They felt that she was impossible to beat 
She nailed it, got the role, and started filming in August of 1997. And it was just obvious to us right away that she was the one. She connected with Dennis. She connected with Natasha. She connected with our dialogue. She was emotional. She was funny. She just rang the bell. When I was younger, I would, like, sit down and pray every night so that I could be in a movie, and it's finally come true. It was an extremely grueling shoot for Lindsay. It was six months long, and Lindsay is in almost every single scene. And on top of it, again, had to do schoolwork. Nancy Myers even sent Lindsay to an English private school when they got to the UK so that Lindsay could really get a sense of what it was like to be one of those proper English school children. Lindsay did such a good job playing both twins that many people for years after that thought that Lindsay was actually a twin. I mean, I remember hearing that multiple times. They helped Lindsay have such a seamless performance by playing her own voice in an ear monitor. So they would do the scene first with Hallie and then record that and then when they filmed Annie's side of the scene, Lindsay's own voice as Hallie would be playing in her ear so that she could play off of that and act off of herself. In 2019, Lindsay reacted to her first Entertainment Tonight interview which was filmed on the set of this movie. This is your very first ET interview. If you really want to be a big, big star. Yeah, it's fun and I like the attention. I still talk the same sometimes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. When you look at that girl though, what would you tell her 20 years later? Keep living in New York. (laughs) Lindsay has always talked very positively of her experience making this movie, although she does say that it was a ton of work for a little girl to be doing. She always talks very highly of everybody on the set, including Nancy Myers. Nancy says of Lindsay, We discovered a big star. We discovered somebody that everybody fell in love with. In a late 2020 episode of Dina Lohan's podcast, The OG Mama D., Lindsay was asked who was her go-to person in the business? Who did she learn the most from? And Lindsay instantly answered Nancy Myers. Lindsay said, I learned the most from Nancy because she talked to me all the time about everything. I've learned a lot from Mark Waters, from everybody that I've worked with, Gary Marshall and Jane Fonda. But I would say Nancy because it stuck with me for so long and I'm still so close with her that it, you know, I just remember her putting me on her lap and teaching me certain things, those things stick with you. Lindsay also pointed out that when she did The Parent Trap, there were not a lot of female directors directing at that time, which she said was one of the coolest parts about it for her to experience. And she actually went on to work with a lot of female directors and writers in her career. Dina also mentioned that she, of course, had to bring her three other children to set of The Parent Trap because she was a single mom. She would literally be nursing Lindsay's little brother, Dakota, in the trailer. And they said, don't you have a nanny to help you with this? And Dina was like, no, I'm fine. And then Charles Shire, one of the producers of the film, just went and hired her a nanny, which was obviously insanely helpful. Lindsay's oldest brother, Michael, actually has a small part in The Parent Trap. He plays the little boy that ended up at the girls' camp by accident, and he's on the phone, and he's like, mom, mom, can you come get me? That's her little brother. In 2006, Nancy Myers gave a quote on her experience with Lindsay Lohan for a feature that Vanity Fair was doing on her. 
She was fun, says Myers. She would come into my trailer and she and my daughter would play really loud music and dance like crazy. Myers also realized that, even at a very young age, Lohan had an instinct when it came to acting, even for rather complicated challenges. For the scenes in which sisters Annie and Hallie were together, for instance, Lohan played each sister in separate takes. Lohan had to remember every cadence of their interchange when she then played the scene as the other twin. It was an amazing feat, says Myers. One thing I found really interesting, though, is that when Lindsay got back to New York after the shooting of the movie, her friends were shocked because they had no idea where she had been. She had just told everybody that she was on a long vacation with her family. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but to me it says a lot that she just like lied to everybody like that. Maybe it was because all of these kids were gossiping behind her back. So she was like, all right, bitches, I'm gonna go make a movie, peace. I don't care what you think. And didn't want to tell them shit because she knew that they'd be talking about her the whole time. The Parent Trap was released on July 29th, 1998 and grossed 92.5. $1 million on a $15 million budget. So this means that Lindsay became a huge star overnight. So naturally her friends at home were like, what the fuck? You said that you were on a vacation. <laughs> I love that she told them that. Any other kid would be like, I'm going to London to make a movie. And she was just like, I'm going to move in silence. <laughs> queen. Even back then, queen. What is there to say about this movie? This is one of my all-time favorite movies. It's a comfort movie for me, but I also think it is just a genuinely damn good film. I don't think of it as a family film. I don't think of it as like just one of my favorite Disney movies. I literally think of it as a fantastic movie. It's a film I loved as a child, a teen, 20s. I know I will love it for the rest of my life. Aside from Lindsay's performance, which is genuinely phenomenal and remarkable, I think that one of the most outstanding things about this movie is that it has one of the most unbelievable and ridiculous premises of all time. I mean, two people get married after, what, a day is it that they're on that ship together? And then they have twin babies. They break up and their breakup is so terrible that they decide to never speak again and the dad takes one kid and raises her in America and the mom takes the other kid and raises her in London and they never even think maybe I should call the other one I mean the parents are living with one of their children completely gone out of their lives just you know it's like a missing part of your heart is all the way across the world and you're just fine with that and you just seem to be totally okay until this thing happens that brings everybody back together. I feel like this movie also gave me unrealistic expectations about the skills that I was supposed to have at 11 and 12 years old because these girls can play poker. They can fence like professionals. They set up the most elaborate booby trap that would, you know, put Kevin from Home Alone to shame and... Somehow Annie manages to put all of Hallie and her roommates' beds on top of the roof. <laughs> like, what? But Lindsay's just so good. I don't know. You buy it. You're just there with her. Like, I absolutely love every minute of this movie. And when I was looking at the reviews and how people perceived it, it was really interesting because it got kind of mixed reviews, more positive, like definitely more on the positive side. But there were a lot of skeptics. I didn't realize how beloved the original Parent Trap was. I mean, I guess I did or else why would they even try to reboot it? But I've actually never seen the 1960s version. I wasn't aware how much people adored Hayley Mills, but reading the reviews, 
a lot of people comment and say what an unenviable task it must be for Lindsay to try to give this character justice. I think people were incredibly impressed with Haley Mills who also did the same thing. She was only one person and she played both roles. And there actually were some reviews in 1998 that said, well, Lindsay's no Haley Mills. But for the most part, the reviews were overwhelmingly positive when it came to Lindsay. Variety said, In the dual role originally played by a 15-year-old Haley Mills, newcomer Lohan makes a thoroughly winning impression. With a little help from the special effects team, she artfully sustains the illusion of two physically similar but subtly different characters. She is particularly good at expressing each twin's efforts to hide the joy she feels when finally meeting the parent she's never known. I completely agree. I just watched this movie last night for the millionth time just so it would be fresh in my mind for this. and. As an adult who has now been studying acting for years and years and years, I can't believe an 11-year-old did what she did. I mean, truly, it's so impressive just how real it feels. I mean, you really do forget that it's only one person when you're watching it. And of course, that's not just due to Lindsay's work. It's the editors and the director, the cinematographer. Nancy Myers actually said that they replaced their DP halfway through making the movie because it was just such a difficult job, especially with the outdoor scenes, which there were a ton. Nancy said that sometimes Lindsay would shoot Hallie's part and then... They would have to break for lunch and it's a union mandated thing. So it's not like they can just push lunch. So they would do one side of it and then they would come back after lunch and the sun would be completely moved. And so the lighting is completely different. And so they have to merge these two shots together. And on the left, Hallie is in this like beautiful, brilliant, sunny lighting. And then Annie on the other side is in this shaded lighting. And then so they have to bring in electric lights and try to match it and all of that. It must have been such a true, true challenge to pull this off. And the way that they did is so impressive. Roger Ebert said, the story is ageless and so is the gimmick. The twins are played by the same actress using trick photography. Haley Mills did it in 1961 and Lindsay Lohan does it this time seamlessly. Although I was aware that the special effects and over-the-shoulder doubles were being used, I simply stopped thinking about it because the illusion was so convincing. One twin is American, one is British, but even their accents don't help us tell them apart since half the time they're pretending to be each other. During the 2020 reunion, Lindsay actually talked about her strategy when playing the twins. She said that when Hallie is pretending to be Annie and Annie is pretending to be Hallie, she tried to mix up the accents a little bit because she wanted it to seem real. So even at 11 years old, Lindsay's aware of the fact that Hallie's pretending to be Annie. So Hallie, this California girl, is trying to put on this perfect British accent. And so she would mess up the accent a little bit on purpose sometimes and let it fade in and out because obviously this 11-year-old girl, Hallie, is trying to do this accent for the first time. She's in this really stressful situation. She thinks that she's going to get found out. So she probably wouldn't be doing the perfect accent the whole time. And then vice versa with the other character as well, which I think was really insightful of her to recognize as a strategy for those characters. Another thing that Nancy shared that I thought was really interesting about the filming is that normally 
you get to choose the performance that you want in the editing room. So principal photography takes place and you shoot the movie and then after the shooting is completed, you're sitting in the editing room with tons of footage. Maybe there's six takes of a scene and you have to pick the take that you like the most and edit it in with all the other takes, of course. But on this film, Nancy said that she had to choose the take that she wanted to use on the spot because she had to film one character with Lindsay. So say she was filming a Hallie scene with Lindsay. Then say they did four takes. She had to watch all four takes while Lindsay got changed and got into the Annie wardrobe and look. And then she would have to pick one on the spot because she would have to show it to Lindsay who was then getting ready to perform the other twin and show her like, you have to match this using the ear monitors and then also body doubles and stand-ins, of course, for the shots where, you know, you see one of their faces head on and then the other, like the back of their head when they're hugging or high-fiving or something like that. Nancy and Lindsay would watch for little things that Lindsay did. So for example, she would say, Lindsay, you had your hand on your hip as Hallie, so make sure Annie doesn't do that. So there had to be a clear distinction between, okay, if putting your hand on your hip is something that Hallie does, that's not something that Annie is going to do because we have to show the differences between them. And these little details are what make films so great because you might not even pick up on it. Like I never notice, oh, this twin does this and this one doesn't. I mean, maybe I notice some of the bigger things. But if you rewatch the movie after hearing all this, you really notice that Lindsay moves differently as either twin. And it's not just the accent that's different. It's like the tone of voice. Like Lindsay was saying that Annie has a little bit of a sweeter tone to her voice and she's maybe like a little bit more patient. And Hallie is more like, oh, whatever you know what I mean like all that kind of stuff is really 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 well done and while yes she had a ton of support around her and really brilliant people around her helping her that performance is thanks to Lindsay and I know this is dramatic but I honestly think Lindsay deserved an Oscar for this role because one of my all-time favorite performances by anyone never mind a child is Tatum O'Neill in the Peter Bogdanovich movie Paper Moon and she actually is the youngest person ever to win an Oscar she was 10 when she won that's also a comedic performance that does deal with some dramatic elements but is for the most part a comedic performance it's like imagine Tatum O'Neill doing double that performance like imagine if that little girl in that in Paper Moon had a twin you know it's like double the work I really really think that Lindsay deserved it and if these kind of movies were taken more seriously I wish she could have at least been nominated for an Oscar because she really did do an Oscar worthy performance she may not have been nominated for an Oscar but she did win the 1999 Young Artist Award for the best performance in a feature film leading young actress she was also nominated at the Young Star Awards the Online Film and Television Association and the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards but I'm surprised this didn't get any Golden Globe nominations I feel like the Golden Globe are the ones that'll go for movies that are not taken as seriously as like the serious Oscar ones but they didn't pay any attention to this are you kidding me I think that Dennis Quaid and Natasha Richardson each deserved supporting nominations and Lindsay a lead nomination but that's just me The Parent Trap is one of the many movies and TV shows that had a virtual reunion during the pandemic and Lindsay participated along with Nancy Myers, Charles Shire, Simon Coons, Lisa Ann Walter, Elaine Hendricks, and Dennis Quaid who plays Lindsay's father in the movie. He had such nice things to say about her. I had such a blast uh, doing this movie. The first thing I remember was meeting Lindsay at, I think it was some kind of a screen test. We were 11, I think, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I remember thinking, oh my God, she's one of the most talented people I've ever met, period. Forget that she's 11 years old. Then I actually thought there were two <laughs> girls. I really did, because your accent was so perfect. I was so young, and it was just so fresh for me. It was my first movie audition, my first screen test, uh, my first time in front of you know people like Nancy and Charles and on a soundstage. So I was just like a kid and a pig in the like you say, <laughs> so I was really excited. <laughs> You were a natural. It just like fell right into it. And although I just played the clip, I encourage you to watch the reunion on YouTube because Lindsay's face as he is complimenting her is one of the sweetest things I've seen in a while. It just really touched me. I felt like behind her expression, you could see the years of struggle that she's had since this kind of golden era and you could tell how much she truly appreciated his words and it was just very touching. It's actually really funny because Dennis Quaid has a podcast called The Denissance. The reunion's great to watch on YouTube, but if you're really a stan like me, go to his podcast because he has the extended uncut version of the reunion. And he also had Katie Couric on to talk about it because she is the one who actually organized the whole thing. Dennis was trying to get a reunion together for the podcast episode, but then once the pandemic happened, Katie wanted to do it because she is the biggest parent trap stan ever, like even more than me. It's so cute. If you watch over the years, Katie Couric has brought up the parent trap in a million different interviews and things. And in 2004, when Katie was first interviewing Lindsay for Mean Girls, she was supposed to talk about Mean Girls, but she was fangirling over the parent trap and asking Lindsay all of these questions about it. Did you have fun making that movie with Natasha and Dennis Quaid? I and did. I was I was like 11, so it was kind of just everything was so new to me. And um, it was just fun for me to be there. And we went to London and everywhere to shoot, so it was great. I know uh, we're not supposed to spend our time talking about the parent <laughs> trap, but it was was it hard doing the Patty Duke thing, you know, because you played a twin? It was it was it was hard at first, but then I got so used to it that it was it was different for me. I was just having so much fun. Was it twice as much work though when you have to do a movie like that and you play both roles? And... It kind of was because yeah. it was in and out of hair and makeup. We had like 15 minutes to put a wig on or take it off, do nail polish, take it off, just a lot of stuff. And I didn't really think much of Katie being such a big Parent Trap stand because she has two daughters and I don't know, it's just such a great movie. A lot of people love it. But then she revealed when her husband passed away, her daughters were two and six years old and this movie really became woven into the fabric of their childhoods because they were going through so much as a family and they were able to just have a nice escape and laugh and cry with this movie and watch it over and over again. And I completely relate. There are so many movies like that for me that are not just movies. It's like a comfort. It's like a friend holding your hand when you're going through something. And Dennis Quaid even said that Katie is the reason that he gets his yearly colonoscopy because if you remember the iconic moment of Katie getting a colonoscopy on the Today Show because her husband Jay passed away so suddenly at such a young age of cancer and colon cancer is actually very beatable if it's detected early. Unfortunately, his wasn't. So she went on the Today Show and said, look, if I can save even one person's life, then this is worth it. And it was such a huge, iconic moment. And hey, it made Dennis Quaid get colonoscopies. I know this directly doesn't have to do with Lindsay, and I'm trying not to do a whole Parent Trap episode here. I'm trying to keep it more focused on Lindsay. But I did want to share this very sweet story because you may know that Natasha Richardson, who plays the twins' mom, the beautiful, brilliant, classy wedding dress designer Elizabeth James, 
James passed away in a sudden ski accident at the age of just 45. And Dennis really teared up talking about her and everyone just had such lovely things to say about her. And it's funny how it's all connected because Katie said that when her husband Jay passed away, Natasha and her husband, Liam Neeson, who was her husband until she passed away, came over to Katie's house and asked if she and her children wanted to go on a hayride with them. And Katie said, it might sound weird, but it it really wasn't weird. It was so perfect and it was exactly what we needed at the time. And it was so kind and we got to go to their house and Natasha's family was there, which if you don't know, Natasha's from an acting dynasty. Her sister is Jolie Richardson, her mother's Vanessa Redgrave, and Katie just felt so touched by that. And so I know that it's not Lindsay related, but I just had to share it because it was so wholesome listening to this podcast and going back in time with these people that I've seen perform these roles so many times and it was just nice you know doing a lot of research on Lindsay some of the aspects of her life were not as wholesome so like it just really touched me and I it made me cry too like they're all crying and um my favorite part of the reunion is actually at the end when Lisa Ann Walter who plays the icon Chessie <laughs> don't we all wish we had a Chessie like let's be honest she was like I'm gonna say the line from the movie Lindsay you're so big and you're so beautiful and she teared up too and was pointing out how impressive it was that Lindsay was there with all her siblings and she was holding her baby brother one minute and then was right in the character the next minute and Elaine Hendricks who also plays another icon Meredith backed up Lisa and said that she was pretty young when she made the movie too obviously she was older than Lindsay but she was young at the time and didn't realize the absolute feat that her performance was as much as she does today and I think that most actors will tell you that like it's not just an impressive performance for a child it's an impressive performance across the board Lindsay also revealed that she still knows the handshake from the movie and at one point she started yelling in French like in the movie she still knows all of the French lines like she just burst out with them and started saying them and then Dennis was like are you yelling in French like he did his line as well it was just really 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 adorable in the uncut version of the reunion Lindsay said It just felt like a really incredible learning experience for me and a lot of fun. My parents were kind of separating at the time when this was all going on and it made it a lot easier for me to play these characters that were figuring it out. And it was a good distraction in a way to experience that at the same time but then play these roles and then see how it's helped younger kids over generations. Which is something that I I didn't think about but that's really true because Nancy also stated that one of the reasons why the movie is so beloved is because it ties into a fantasy that a a lot of kids have about their parents getting back together and I think that not a lot of movies indulge that fantasy and this movie completely falls into it. Lindsay said, my parents are friends now and if they've ever fought again, I'm like, watch The Parent Trap, literally. <laughs> it's such a timeless film and I felt so lucky and really blessed by Nancy and Charles. Without this movie, I probably wouldn't even have acted more after it. And yet it was a lot of months and how do you be normal after that? How do you not only want to act for the rest of your life after doing a film like this? It touches every single generation and every 
single way and it's timeless and just really special. Another review I really liked is this one from the Nashville scene. It says, this new parent trap is actually superior to the original because all the performances are high caliber. Dennis Quaid and Natasha Richardson are attractive and charming as the parents in question, even though their child custody arrangement remains baffling. Also good are Simon Coons as Richardson's butler, Lisa Ann Walter as Quaid's nanny, and Elaine Hendricks as the impeccably painted porcelain doll that has caught Quaid's eye. All give their stereotypical comic characters a wonderful subtlety. They play the emotions of the story rather than going for the broad force and slapstick that often mar children's movies. That is so accurate. I didn't realize that I think this is why the movie works so incredibly well is because it is a family film and it is a kid's movie, but they play it like it isn't. Nancy just made a movie. She didn't make a kid's movie. And it's so true because I am really not a fan of those uber silly kids movies, you know, where somebody farts and then they cut to a shot of the dog like making a face and going like, ooh, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, kids movies like that, like I get it. They need to entertain three-year-olds, but at the same time, I'm not trying to say that I was some child genius or something, but I, that, I ne- that never really appealed to me. I always liked stuff that felt more real. Like even if it was a fantasy film, it had to be grounded in reality. Like that to me is what's so great about Harry Potter is it's this great fantasy, but it's really grounded by the relationship of the golden trio, the three best friends, and then the family relationship with Harry and his parents and the longing there and all of that, it pulls everything together so nicely. And I think that the same thing happened here because you have this extremely strange plot, but the performances ground it so beautifully. The Nashville scene went on to say, this is a classy adaptation devoid of kitty toilet humor and cartoon violence. It features a fully developed story and takes its time setting up the premise and letting it unfold. Actually, at two plus hours, it may take a bit too much time for younger kids who are likely to get restless. Better for them to wait for video, which actually was not true for me. My aunt, God bless her, took me to see this movie. It's one of my earliest memories of being in a movie theater and I was captivated from top to bottom, honey. This movie is two hours and nine minutes though. And kids movies generally are not that long. Like that's considered way too long for a kids movie. A lot of people would say like keep it at a tight 90, even 80 minutes, but I'm so glad they didn't do that because yeah, there are some scenes they could have shortened or cut out, but you wouldn't love the characters as much and you wouldn't relate to them as much. I love the amount of time that they spend at the camp and a lot of reviewers say, oh, it takes too long for them to realize that they're sisters. I don't think so. I really like the world building. I love even all of the little characters like the Marvas, Um, One of them, of course, played by Janice from Friends, Maggie Wheeler. I love in movies when all the smaller roles are filled out by these great character actors, so even they make an impression. And I love the three worlds of the movie. There's the camp world, the Napa, California world, and the England world. It really feels like you're going on this journey with them. All of the set design is perfect. The cinematography, it just, I think because it all works together so seamlessly in the film is so well edited and well paced and consistently funny and consistently touching 
Even for me being a child, I didn't feel restless watching it. They went on to say, Contrived cornball and cruel it may be outwardly, but beneath its glossy exterior beats a surprisingly humane heart. Ebert had similar sentiments. He said, A movie like this has to cover a lot of ground in several different locations. That's why good casting is so important. There's not time to establish the characters carefully, so they have to bring their personalities along with them almost from the first shot. And that is so true because even even when Lindsay first makes an appearance as Hallie when she's trying to get her duffel bag out of the pile and she quickly makes friends with the tie-dye girl and then the other girl even then like Lindsay's just bringing something to the character you can tell that she's not just sleepwalking through the performance or she's not just being fed lines off camera by a scrub supervisor like a lot of kids are she's actually playing a person like she built an actual character Ebert said Quaid is instantly likable with that goofy smile and Richardson who almost always plays tougher roles and harder women this time is astonishing she's so warm and attractive the two of them have a conversation over an old bottle of wine and yes it's cornball but quality cornball earning its sentiment so many of these reviews are putting an exact pin on why I love this movie so much and I love 90s movies like this that really are not made anymore these middle budget dramedies that are so good and yes they're cheesy like he's saying they're cornball but high quality cornball I love cheesy stuff but only when it's done by directors that take the cheesiness seriously, I guess, and actually make a full-bodied movie and not just, okay, we're going to paint by numbers. Here's the two twins. They switch places, blah, blah, blah. Put in a funny dog. Put in a fart. Put in somebody slipping on a banana peel. You're good. Nancy and Charles didn't do that. They took it more seriously than that and gave us such a high-quality film. Ugh, I love this movie. I just watched it last night and I'm already like, damn, I want to watch it again. So while The Parent Trap clearly did great at the time, it has become a classic in the years that have followed. It's getting discovered by new generations of kids all the time. I know for sure when I have kids, this will be one of the first movies that I show them. It will definitely be like they're growing up with this movie. By the way, again, I'm, I'm trying to keep it more directed to Lindsay, but when Ebert says that Natasha Richardson is astonishing in this movie, I completely agree. She gives one of the most beautiful performances. She manages to make this character seem so motherly and like the greatest mother in the world when really, she's been okay with living without one of her children for the past 10 years and so I think that whole thing is weird when you examine it but you don't even think about that when you're watching her because she's just so perfect in this role that you buy everything that she says and does and take it at face value. My favorite thing that she did in this movie is how she plays her character after she's reunited with Nick, especially that scene, again, that Ebert brought up, the one that he said is cornball, but good cornball, when they're looking at the wine and he reveals that he's purchased every bottle of wine he possibly could. That's the same wine that they drank on their wedding night. And the way that Natasha Richardson plays it is just so beautiful because you can see how scared she is. They don't reveal what exactly happened between them, which I would love to know what happened that made them so, so sincerely want to never see each other again, that they're willing to live without one of their children. But you can tell something really bad happened because he's kind of let his guard down at that point when they're in the wine cellar because his fiance is gone so now he's single again and he still obviously has feelings for his ex-wife their mother 
And it seems like he's trying to make a move and she looks at him and she looks so terrified and she just kind of like shakes her head a little bit and she's looking at him with such fear in her eyes. It's such a beautiful performance from Natasha Richardson. And again, a perfect example of why this kid's movie isn't just a kid's movie. Like everybody who was involved with it took it so seriously and put so much into it. I also think the fact that they don't reveal exactly what happened during the breakup kind of makes it even more interesting because it's really mysterious. When she explains why she packed and she's just like, we got into a fight and so I packed and I left and you didn't come after me. And he just goes, I didn't know you wanted me to. That line always flattens me. Even though they end up together in the end, that line kills me every single time it just it's the sad it's like just a few words of the saddest love story you've ever heard you didn't come after me I didn't know you wanted me to the simplicity of that like the unadorned nature of some of the lines in the script again make it so much more than just a kid's movie whereas like a lot of other kids movies beat a dead horse and put a hat on top of a hat on top of a hat trying to make it obvious for children to understand but they didn't feel the need to do that in this movie and it's perfect because anything that I didn't understand when I initially saw this I eventually grew up and continued to find more and more in it as the years went on and now as an adult I'm still so impressed. Dennis Quaid has had an extremely successful career dating back to the 70s but he says that this is by far his most popular role. This is what he gets recognized for the most and Elaine Hendricks who again plays Meredith said that she cannot leave her house without somebody coming up to her every single day and saying something about Meredith which is amazing because Elaine is definitely famous and successful but she's not like a Julia Roberts where she's getting stopped every single time she goes somewhere but because of this movie she is. Lindsay obviously has had multiple other extremely successful movies but she does say that in Dubai she will specifically get recognized from the parent trap and she was laughing about the fact she still has the same freckles and the same red hair and you know she's had different hair colors over the years but she looks a lot like her childhood self now like if you look up Lindsay Lohan 2020 2021 2022 she's looking like old Lindsay again I mean she looks beautiful so I can completely see her still getting recognized even just for this movie during the filming of The Parent Trap, Michael Lohan violated his probation by flying to Napa, California to visit Lindsay, who had been hospitalized for an asthma attack that occurred during filming. He subsequently served a year in prison for that alone. I mean, that is really crazy to me. He just wanted to go be with his daughter. I mean, if this is true, but what else would his purpose be flying to Napa, California, you know? Imagine how hard that was on the family. Like, what a strange time for Lindsay, you know? You're starring in this huge movie for Disney with these big stars and great director and all of that. And at the same time, your father finds out that he's going to jail again. I mean, that's a lot for a little girl to be dealing with all at once. Even though it was completely not Lindsay's fault, obviously. I could totally see a little girl kind of rationalizing and blaming herself for that scenario. I think it makes a lot of sense that Lindsay and her mom are still so close and have such a tight bond and that Lindsay's always speaking so highly of her mom because they probably banded together and really bonded when her father was gone because it was like, we have each other. We might both feel abandoned by this person, but we're not alone. It just makes me so happy that this family has really stayed together as much as it has and that they are so close because there are so many child stars who 
flat out will not talk to their parents anymore because their parents stole money from them or forced them to perform when they didn't want to and so on and so forth. And there doesn't seem to be any of that with Lindsay, which is so comforting because I feel like we hear all of these really depressing stories all of the time about these kids that we watched and looked up to and loved. And then you hear about all the suffering they were going through as a result of being famous and, and being child performers. And then you kind of feel a little gross about being such a big fan and consuming the media that they put out. It's a complicated thing, but it's just really, really nice to be telling the story from this perspective in 2022 and knowing that all of this kind of worked out. I mean, Lindsay even says that she talks to her father now. A friend of the family spoke about Michael in Lindsay's E! True Hollywood story and says that the thing about him is that he's very impulsive and he just does things that he later regrets so much so that this friend could not even specify a time because he does this so often, not thinking before he acts and then regretting it later, that there wouldn't even be an example that he could give because it's so common. So that's really, really hard for a child to grow up with, obviously. Lindsay also told Howard Stern that her father had inherited a business or multiple businesses from her grandfather and he and a business partner basically did some shady stuff ran them into the ground so on top of the domestic violence the abuse being in and out of prison there's also this weird unstable financial situation going down does anybody have friends like this you have those friends where it's like sometimes their parents are like rolling in money and they're getting tons of new toys constantly and there's like a new car in the driveway and then a couple weeks later it's like they're broke and you're at like Wendy's with them and they're like oh my mom didn't have enough money to give me she just gave me like three dollars so I can't I so I can only get a soda basically you know what I mean like has anyone else ever had that kind of unstable friend where you're like oh my god this totally isn't your fault and your parents are clearly not doing their job right so that's another thing that I'm like ooh, Lindsay probably felt a ton of pressure to get back to work and stuff and make money but Howard actually asked her about that too like did she feel as though if she didn't work the family would be in the poorhouse she actually said that she didn't know that it was that bad at the time so she didn't really feel that pressure I guess I hope so anyway Ugh, this poor kid I swear Lindsay's career post parent trap but before Freaky Friday is really interesting to me and I know I sound like I'm a Dina stan or something but I think that the moves that they made after this were really really great for Lindsay's well-being as opposed to her career because when you think about how big this movie was and how challenging the dual roles must have been for Lindsay and how well she delivered on creating these characters Lindsay could have been a really big star instantly after this and Disney immediately offered her a role in Inspector Gadget opposite Matthew Broderick but Dina and Lindsay turned it down because they were both so tired from filming the parent trap being away from home for months dealing with all of the family drama and Michael being in trouble the parent trap press tour and the sudden fame and stuff and they just they just had it which again surprised me because I've always seen Dina portrayed in the media as this like momzilla stage mom crazy lady it doesn't seem like she is it seems like they made the right decision Lindsay and I looked at each other we said no we're not going anywhere we're home we're gonna stay home and we took a pass 
What are you going to be doing next? Um, I don't, I don't really know yet. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think I want to go back to school for a little bit and take a break and like get a chance to be like a normal kid again. Thank God her mom was on board with that, and she did go back to school. She was super into sports. She did soccer, cheerleading, and basketball. She was unfortunately bullied fairly often because she was a movie star, and she would walk down the hallways and people would yell like "parent trap" at her and things like that which is so weird and I'm not trying to say that I'm anywhere near Lindsay's level but being a performer growing up in school I used to perform in all of the school shows and all like the local community stuff like I was known as being more a singer than anything back then but I was also a competitive dancer so I would do like a dance performance a singing performance like all this stuff in the shows and I was bullied really badly for that you know, it, it's so weird how you do something that makes you feel happy and you do it well and you're praised by a lot of people for it and told how wonderful you are and then you come to school and you're bullied for those same things. It's really confusing because I was like, wait, I feel like a million bucks when I'm on stage. I feel like I could do anything and this is what I love to do and most people think it's awesome and then when you're a kid, you know, the people that you want validation from the most are like your classmates and the cool kids in school and those kids tortured me. I mean, I was really bullied like hardcore. And so I cannot even imagine if I had been in a movie, especially a movie as big as The Parent Trap. Oh my God. I, I really feel for her because obviously I was on a much, like I wasn't famous. I was just like locally doing performances and I got tortured by the bullies in school. So I really feel for her. Like at the same time, she has to deal with everyone talking about her dad and mom fighting and her dad going to jail. Like that must've been really hard. And I'm really happy that Dina didn't push her to get right back into acting and do another movie. It must've been really hard to turn down a big movie like Inspector Gadget. I mean, it didn't end up being as big as Parent Trap or anything like that. But at the time, I'm sure getting that offer, it was probably a lot of money. It's Matthew Broderick's a pretty big star. Inspector Gadget is already a known franchise. So I'm sure it was hard. Lindsay and her mom are just like, yeah, we want to be normal. And I really respect that. Although Lindsay actually said that she was really restless in school and that she had trouble because she wasn't used to being around kids she had been around adults working for a long time I mean think about it 60 commercials another world parent trap I mean this is like many many years of her being in these adult environments and she actually felt like she wasn't doing anything even though she was in school and that's what <laughs> that's like the only thing most 12 year olds have to worry about is doing well in school she felt like even when she was going to school that she wasn't doing anything because she wasn't making a movie that is some psychological shit that i feel like must have really messed with her and i hope that she's talked about this all in therapy because oh my god she said that she would fake being sick all the time. She would finish her work early so that she could leave. She would do whatever she could to get out of school. And one of the most dramatic instances of bullying, she said, was kind of like in the movie Mean Girls. She said that there was a redheaded girl who was like her best friend, you know, the two redheads at school, who then turned on her and wrote up a petition with this group of seven other girls and it said that basically because Lindsay got to leave for all these months and do the parent trap that she should be like expelled from school or something. And Lindsay was like, well, I do want to leave. <laughs> Lindsay was like, I do want to go make another movie. 
she told Howard Stern this and he was joking like, yeah, you were like, I'll sign the petition, which is really funny, right? It, I mean, but also sad because it's like her classmates and her were not relating to each other, you know? Like they're saying, get out of here. And she's saying, yeah, I want to go. Like I think that she was probably conflicted because in some ways she just wanted to be a normal kid and she has her parents telling her like stay in school stay in school stay in school but at the same time it must be really hard if you dream of that type of thing and then you make it really big to just go back to you know getting up at 7 a.m every day and going to school and she said that it was really hard for her to stay in school because she was like I don't have to stay here I don't have to deal with these people and like deal with bullies torturing me all day like I'm in the fucking parent trap like she didn't say it in those terms but you could tell that that was kind of like what she was feeling and for a 12 year old of course if you're catered to on set and all of those things like of course you're not gonna want to go to a traditional school atmosphere where you're getting bullied all day I mean come on who what would you rather do would you rather hang out with Dennis Quaid or have a group of snot-nosed brats tell you to get out of their school? I think the answer is clear. In an interview with Marie Claire in 2008, Lindsay talked about how family turmoil was a constant around this time. It was always up and down, Lohan says of her teen years, very unpredictable. It was kind of just like whether he was going to be there, what he would be like. We didn't know what to expect from him, which was difficult. Obviously, she's talking about her father. I knew so much at the age of 12. I'd seen so much. So it's surprising to me that I got into certain things that I got into because I knew not to. And of course, that's a really interesting statement. You know, she's saying she's surprised that she ended up becoming an addict because she thought she knew to stay away from it. But unfortunately, when you grow up around it like that, and also is probably in her genes, it's almost impossible to avoid. In 2000, Lindsay filmed a role on the pilot Bette playing Bette Midler's daughter, but she was replaced because Bette decided that she wanted to move the production to LA and Dina and Lindsay didn't want to move. So that's another example of Dina and Lindsay giving up a really big opportunity because they didn't want their whole life uprooted. And I think that is so smart because in my research, one of the things that I have seen over and over again that Lindsay has said is that if she has any regrets, it's that she didn't listen to her mother when she was older and she didn't come back to New York, her home state, to live instead of staying in L.A. So Lindsay moved to L.A. in 2003 and this was 2000. She was still underage. Obviously, she was still living with her mom. And I feel like what I've gathered from all these interviews is that Lindsay really regrets maybe not moving to L.A. but staying there as long as she did instead of going home to New York where yes, there's paparazzi, but there's less paparazzi. And yes, she still is a star, but it's just, it's not the eye of the storm, you know, with all the nightclubs and the other celebrities and the culture of Hollywood. It's very, very different in New York. So I mean, what a blessing and what a great decision they made to leave this show because if she had moved to LA three years earlier than she had, who knows what she would have gotten into. Maybe she wouldn't even have gotten Freaky Friday or Mean Girls. Maybe she already would have been heavy into drugs and drinking. I mean, Drew Barrymore grew up in Hollywood, went to rehab when she was 12. You know what I mean? These are the kinds of things that happen to these really young celebrities. On March 5th, 2000, Lindsay starred with Tyra Banks in the Disney Channel original movie Life Size, which was part of a three-picture deal with Walt Disney Pictures. Tonight on Disney Channel, what happens when a magical spell transforms a high-fashion doll into a full-blown problem? I'm 
Eve, and you're my special friend. This is a disaster. Supermodel Tyra Banks and the parent trapped Lindsay Lohan star in Life Size. Why do I feel like I'm in a bad horror movie? Tonight at 87 Central on Disney Channel. Lindsay was offered the role. She did not have to audition. And oh my God, I used to be obsessed with this movie when I was little. I used to watch this over and over again. I loved Eve. I wanted to be her. I wanted to have all the outfits. And I just rewatched it the other day. It's not available to buy or rent. So I watched a really crappy, grainy version of it. I still think it's such a cute movie. I probably hadn't seen it in like 15 years, no joke. Tyra's definitely the star of this movie. And Lindsay is playing more of just the kid role. Whereas in The Parent Trap, obviously, she stole the show. And I love that after doing such a big movie like The Parent Trap, her next movie was a smaller straight-to-TV movie. Because again, they could have gone in the other direction and she could have been having blockbusters come out in the cinemas every year but instead she opted for a more normal life and a more normal childhood and thank god for that because of course her life was about to explode in the tabloids a couple years later so i think it's really nice that she was just doing these like little you know, cute appearances and things here and there. But I think this role probably was a little bit challenging for her. Even though Tyra's role is definitely the focal point, Lindsay has like multiple crying scenes because she plays a little girl who's lost her mother and she decides to turn to witchcraft to try to bring her mother back from the dead. What an icon. And instead she conjures a real life version of the Eve doll, which is basically supposed to be Barbie. And I think it was kind of an innovative movie. I mean, there's some questionable stuff in it but I love the fact that they had a black woman starring as the Barbie character you know when you think of Barbie you think of blonde hair blue eyes and I think it was really important for young girls to see that perfect doll figure as somebody who's more diverse also Lindsay's character in this is the quarterback of the football team which is the coolest thing I've ever seen I mean she's this like tiny little what 12 13 year old and she's absolutely killing it I think the relationship too between the dad and the daughter is really sweet and it's just a really adorable little movie in 2001 Lindsay was tapped to help promote Walt Disney World's 100 years of magic celebration and oh my god, I had never heard of or seen this before. And as someone who has been to Disney World many a time and who is a parent trap stan, I am shocked that I had not heard of this or seen this before. But Disney did these TV spots with Lindsay playing dual roles. <laughs> She wasn't playing Hallie and Annie, but she was playing two versions of Lindsay, an American version and a British version. It's everything and she's just running around the park going on all these different rides her whole family is in it dina michael the kids like it's the whole deal there's so much to show you though i kind of wish there really were two of me <clears throat> hello there lindsay how weird is that it's not weird just a little bit of disney magic well what are we waiting for let's go have some fun now now we must remember we have a job to do of course it's just hilarious that they had her reprise her accent from the movie because it's not like she's playing Annie. She's still Lindsay, but they just had her do a British accent. It's pure camp. Just trust me. It's on YouTube. Go watch it. 
it's a delight. In 2001 and 2002, Lindsay started working with Emilio Estevan to create demos to shop around to record labels. So I actually didn't realize that they were trying to create a singing career for Lindsay for years before it actually happened. It all seemed kind of sudden to me, but she always wanted to be a triple threat musical theater, singing, dancing, and acting type of performer, and it just turned out that acting was what she was the best at, so that was what took off. Emilio said that he loved working with Lindsay because her voice was very unique, like nothing else on the radio, and they got a ton of rejections from so many labels, and he kind of seemed to imply in the interviews that I watched and read that she was too young for the record labels to promote her as a sex symbol. Now, that does make sense. I mean, it's gross, but it makes sense because this is 2001, 2002. Who's at the top of pop music right now? Who's the queen? Britney. And she had a lot of sex appeal. I mean, this was her Britney era, so slave for you. Like, it was a very sexy image, and Lindsay was still underage. And at that time, I think that they didn't want to bet on a kid. They didn't want to put a young woman out there that they couldn't sex up without looking like perverts. So they were like, eh, yeah, she's talented, but she's not hot and sexy yet. So we can't do anything with this, which is so stupid because the very next year in 2003, Hilary Duff would come out with her first album and she was very cute, but she definitely wasn't sexed up at all at that time by her label. And she kind of proved that you can be super young. And of course, there were a lot of other Disney Channel stars at the time. And there were some other young performers that were underage, but sexiness was the name of the game at the time. So they didn't rush the music career, and Lindsay continued working on movies. On June 28, 2002, Get a Clue premiered on the Disney Channel. It was another Disney Channel original movie. This month on Disney Channel. Have you ever written something that caused something else to happen? Lexi's the coolest girl in school, but when something she writes leads to trouble, she's got to solve the mystery herself. <laughs> Lexi Gold is played by Lindsay Lohan. Lexi writes an article, and it goes into the paper. It's about two of her teachers. One of the teachers goes missing. So I end up teaming up with her to find them. So we're like this the whole time. Opposite magnets. How can someone so selfish make me feel so guilty? It's a gift. My best friend is Jennifer. She's not a very good detective. My character is a fashion fanatic. Lexi and her friends search for their missing teacher takes them undercover. At first, my character is sort of clueless to all the spy things that are going on, but then she really gets into it. This stuff is amazing. Oh my gosh, you guys, I had never seen this movie before. I don't know how I missed it because I was all over the Disney Channel as a kid. I saw so many of those Disney Channel original movies. My favorite was Xenon. Of course, I loved Life Size. And I loved every time they had one that was kind of supposed to be like scary or like spooky for kids. Like I always loved scary stuff. So I loved Halloween Town and Don't Look Under the Bed. I loved Brink. Like I don't know how I missed a Lindsay Lohan movie like this because... It's so cute. I would have loved this movie. I'm so sad that I didn't get to see it as a kid. It stars Lindsay as this girl living in New York with her parents. They own the entire floor of their building. Obviously, they're super rich. She's super into fashion, and she also loves writing. And she writes kind of gossipy stuff for her school newspaper, but she wants to grow up to be a serious journalist. And her teacher goes missing, so her and her friends, including Bug Hall from The Little Rascals and Brenda Song, start investigating what could have possibly happened to him. 
He's played by Ian Gomez from Cougar Town, which is such an underrated show, by the way. Is it a masterpiece? No, but I loved all of the outfits. Like the fashion is so cute. So early 2000s. If you're really into early 2000s fashion, you have to watch this movie because it's a part of the characters and it does end up tying into the plot. And there's also this really cute little love story with her and Bug Hall. And he plays this totally regular kid from Brooklyn who has this like really thick New York accent. And it's just so funny. Like it's just, they're so cute together. And I just like love these little kid movies. (laughs) They're just adorable. And they remind me of my childhood so much, you know? So even though Life Size and Get a Clue were really cute Disney Channel original movies, they were great and everything, but they were just that, right? They were Disney Channel original movies, straight to TV releases, and Lindsay had gotten her feet wet with The Parent Trap, which was a lot bigger and a lot better. She had had a few years in school where she was basically a normal kid, but if you think about it, after her first movie was done shooting in January of 98, she really only made two other movies between then and starting work on Freaky Friday in late 2002. And she started to see her peers who had been up for the same movies and TV shows such as Scarlett Johansson, Jenna Malone, Misha Barton, start to do more movies and get out there and build their careers. And she wanted to do the same. That is going to do it for today's episode. Stay tuned because next time we are going to get into the Freaky Friday era, honey. Oh my God, I'm so excited. And of course, we are going to break down the feud of the century. Lindsay Lohan versus the other teen queen of the early 2000s, Hilary Duff. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Ashley and Jessica cast. I'm your host, Leah Russo. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Capria Moon. That's at C A P R I A M O O N. And follow the podcast at Ashley and Jessicast on Instagram and at Ashley Jessicast on Twitter. Please let me know your thoughts on the show. I would absolutely love to hear Ashley and Jessicast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.